Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Morning shot. A very good morning to you. You're listening to Money FM 89.3, and this is Morning Shot. I'm Lin Lee. Data privacy is once again in the spotlight. This comes as Facebook's parent company, Meta, gets a record fine of $1.75 billion for violating European Union data protection laws. Now, regulators found that the tech giant had unlawfully sent the personal data of European users to the United States. For a deeper analysis, we're joined by Associate Professor Hannah Yifen Lim, Division of Business Law, Nanyang Business School at NTU. Very good morning to you, Hannah. Good morning, Lindley. How are you? Good, thanks. And yourself? Good, thank you. All right. So is Meta's data transfer fine sufficient to allay privacy concerns, you think? I think the huge fine is really effective in drawing attention to the importance of data protection and data privacy. But I think uh, many people don't really understand what the case is all about. And the case is really about many different issues, not just data privacy or data protection. So tell us just briefly, what exactly is the case about to start with? And what has human rights got to do with privacy? Well, it's got a lot to do with human rights and national security, actually, not just about transferring personal data. And the human rights aspect is intricately tied up with the EU GDPR. And I think I might need to explain this a little bit Mm -hmm. more to give a bit of context, because um, the GDPR in the EU is not actually the first regulation that covers data protection. Mm -hmm. Its predecessor was actually a 1995 directive from the uh, EU. But this 1995 Data Protection Directive was not developed in silo either, and it goes all the way back to Second World War. Because, you see, what happened in Second World War was that, you know, Hitler and the Nazis killed six million Jews because they were singled out and systematically um, persecuted. And that was something that has been etched into the psyche of many European countries. So they were very, very determined to prevent a repeat of such atrocities. So as a result of that, they realised the importance of having fundamental human rights enshrined somewhere. Mm. So that's how the 1948 United Nations adopted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And that actually... Uh, included privacy as a right in Article 12. Hmm. And then subsequently that was followed by uh, the European Convention on Human Rights in 1950. And then this is all you know, come to the fore again in 2009 with the Charter of Fundamental Rights of the European Union. Um, and this actually was mentioned a lot in the decision in this particular case with Meta. And this charter is actually binding, legally binding on every EU state. And so you can see that from this history that there's much of the jurisprudence on privacy and data privacy mm. in the EU has, has centred around fundamental human rights philosophies. And this includes their right not to have their personal data processed or transferred to a third party, such as the United States, unless a third party has the same level of protection as in the EU. And sadly, the US does not have coherent or adequate data protection laws. And on top of that, US has strong national security laws that allows directives to be given to main US ISPs, internet service providers, as well as technology companies that provide online services. And these directives actually just orders the company to share personal data that it holds with the government. Now, they've said that these directives do not ask for blanket or bulk collection of data, but it takes place for specific foreign intelligence purposes. But then these specific foreign intelligence purposes um, actually are very, very broad, so that in a 2013 European Parliament report, they said that it actually goes, the data collection goes well beyond counterterrorism, 
mm-hmm. and beyond espionage activities. And so this is where Meta, being a U.S. company, comes into play because it's you know subject to U.S. national security laws, and it's been handed such directives over the years under the U.S. national security laws. And so, as such, when it hands over all this personal data about its uh, users who are in the EU.、Mm-hmm. They're actually giving the U.S. intelligence services all these data, but they don't know what happens to it. And so, this is a breach of the GDPR as well as the Charter of the Fundamental Rights of the European Union. Tell us basically what happens.、Uh, a user goes on Facebook, Meta collects the data, and then sends it to the U.S., where it's used for ad targeting. Is that how user data transfer works? It's actually a little bit more generalized than that.、Um, Being a large multinational providing services to many different countries, Meta would need to have its own data centers and servers located everywhere in the world, including the U.S.、Mm-hmm. And the reason for this distributed system of cloud storage of data is absolutely necessary in order for the users to have speedy、mm-hmm. access and to have constant access. Because in case there's any disruptions to the servers or the services in the particular regions or areas for whatever reasons, the Facebook Servers, which is what this case is about, will still need to be available. So, for Meta and many, many large multinationals, they do move data through and they do store data on a US servers.、Mm. Um, so, it's it's really more about the database infrastructure more than anything else, and the internet architecture. Okay, so right now Meta is saying that it has been singled out and has since announced plans to appeal what it called a flawed and unjustified punishment. From a legal point, is the fine justified? How much bite does Meta have there? Well, if we're talking about the quantum of the fine, yes, it's a very large amount, but it is also assessed by the amount of data and the types of personal data that Meta has been handling and transferring over the years. And in this particular case. Um, Facebook, the the app, the the service has actually been systematically transferring in bulk and repetitively transferring in bulk, and the the decision actually said that it's not only all of that; it's also ongoing.、Mm. And so the idea was to impose a fine with a huge deterrent effect in terms of discouraging both Meta Island and others from committing the same infringement again in the future. Now, as for the question of whether they've been singled out, well, yes and no. I mean, the reason why Meta is claiming that it has been singled out is because other large companies such as Microsoft, Yahoo, Google, Apple, you name it, they've all been handed such、um, directives to comply with the U.S. national security laws as well. But then other companies have also been imposed large fines too. Like Amazon was fined 746 million euros in 2021. But certainly for Facebook,、um, the servers. The types and the quantity of personal data that has been processed and transferred is、uh, probably outstrips those of the other companies. And let's not forget that the Facebook service uses the personal data of its customers as the product itself. And I think this may be also why Facebook service、mm-hmm. is、uh, seen as a bit incompatible with the human rights philosophies in the EU. So on the back of that fine, U.S. and EU leaders are now working on a new agreement on data flow that's expected to allow essential data transfers while safeguarding civil liberties. Do you have specific concerns with this potential new deal? Well, this will be the third round of agreement since 2000, and the fourth set of principles, with the previous ones. All struck down by the European Court of Justice, so I'm somewhat very, very sceptical that the new agreement will work. I mean, legally, the Charter of Fundamental Rights of the European Union is extremely strong, and has been interpreted successively with even more power. 
And I have to say the GDPR, the European uh, data protection has been super strong since 1995. So I really have serious doubts that it's going to go anywhere. Just tying this issue back to Singapore, are our data privacy laws here enough to protect us from such data transfers? Well, let's put it this way. If you want to use the service, you really have no choice but to expect the transfers to occur because everybody's using cloud computing these days. And even companies in Singapore, such as banks and insurance companies, have been using their call centers overseas because the labor costs are cheaper. And this naturally means that our personal data, such as our NRIC numbers, are naturally transferred overseas. Mm -hmm. And on paper, the companies may have rules about data protection, um, but in practice, once the data is transferred overseas, I don't think we as individuals are in any position to monitor closely what happens Mm -hmm. to our data. But I think it's rather paradoxical because this decision is one that actually will achieve the end result of lesser data transfer, both by the government as well as by private sector entities. And, you know, as as far back as 22 years ago, when I first wrote my first book on cyberspace law, I was of the view and I'm still of the view that in this century, we should be more concerned about the private sector collecting and holding vast personal data about us and what they do with the data rather than what the public sector is trying to protect the society by collecting and holding personal data. Let's talk about the potential dangers for users of such data transfers. What are your views on that? Well, I think for users, there's always, I mean, in this day and age, especially with AI, there's a huge danger that private companies will data match. And by data matching, it means that they will have full profiles of us as individuals. And what does it mean by having full profiles? It means that they actually know more about us than we know about ourselves because they can actually find a pattern in what we do, what we like, where we go. And the risks of the harms um, are actually enormous when it comes to that because there are risks of fraud, there are risks of impersonation, there are risks of physical harm, stalking, spying on people. And, and the list just goes on and all kinds of, of evil. And, and you know, a, a lot of the personal um, finance crimes that we have scheme, seen in Singapore, especially with the finance scams, they're all linked to that because mm. people actually know your phone number, know where you live, know your name. And that's why they can impersonate authorities and banks to fool us um, mm. as individuals, to give away our banking credentials and so on. So there's actually a lot of harms that people don't realize um, that has got to do with the power of data matching and the collection of personal data. And that's just to be clear, personal data is not just about our names. It can be our car number plates, what kind of car we drive. It can be where we go every day for work. That kind of thing is also personal data. All right. Thank you very much, Hannah, for your perspectives this morning. We've been speaking with Associate Professor Hannah Yifen Lim, Division of Business Law, Nanyang Business School at the NTU. Thank you. Thank you very much. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.